We are coming again tonight to Romans chapter 8. So let me encourage you to turn there and begin reading along with me in verse 5. Romans 8, 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Father, we say with David and with the hymn writer, our cups with blessing overflow. Thine oil anoints our heads. Thank you for your blessings tonight. Help us to see them. Help us to walk in in them and to love you and your son and your spirit for them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years back I had a friend who over the period of a few months was diagnosed with a string of various health concerns. There was some arthritis, there was some chronic muscle pain, there were some inner ear issues, and all these things had been a great nuisance For a while, they had been a regular source of irritation for this woman for quite some time. There was nothing life-threatening about them. There was nothing really debilitating about them. But now, she was actually going to the doctor and having them diagnosed. And she was finding that there was nothing the doctors could do really to eliminate any of these aggravations. There was a little bit to alleviate some of the pain, but there was no way to get rid of these things. Old age had set in on this friend and its ever-growing list of obstacles was coming down on her, things that just weren't going to be overcome in this life, the kinds of things that some of you face now and all of us, if we live long enough, will. But my friend had a reaction that I hope doesn't characterize most people. I hope it won't characterize you when you get to that stage in your life because When she heard the doctor say there's really nothing we can do, these aches and pains are unfortunately just going to be a part of your life as long as you live. What happened to her was that she became paralyzed internally. Now her life wasn't anywhere near over. She had been living fairly normally with these aches and pains and difficulties up until this point. But it seemed that when the doctors told her that these things would be permanent, that she folded up. When they said these are chronic conditions, she became discouraged. 
She gave up her hobbies. She rarely went outside of her house anymore. She stopped living the life that she had been able to enjoy up until that point. Life became for her almost a simple waiting until she died. And perhaps some of you have known someone who responded to a difficult diagnosis in a similar way. They got a, uh, a word from the doctor that wasn't good and they went into mental and emotional paralysis. I tell you that story about this friend tonight not to pass judgment on her or anyone else that might respond that way because we don't know that any of us, if placed in that situation, given diagnoses like that, might respond with the same hopelessness as others have. But I share this story with you about this paralysis, mental paralysis that happened. I share a sad situation because I think that that response was a perfect metaphor for what happens to some Christians in their spiritual life. That is to say, when we read the Bible, particularly when we read the book of Romans, we realize that spiritually the test results are in, the diagnosis is clear, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And beyond that, we realize that this is kind of a permanent thing as long as we live in this world. We are, Romans 7.14, of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. And we know with Paul in Romans 7.18 that nothing good dwells in us, that is, in our flesh. We are racked with a deadly disease called sin. We know it. We've seen it in the Scriptures. We've seen it in our lives. And we know the reality that this disease is going to swim in our bloodstream as long as we live in this world. In this life, though there is salvation and there is hope, there will be no full and final eradication of sin. It's going to be a lifetime struggle for each one of us, a lifelong ailment. That's the diagnosis. And like these physicians that spoke to my friend, the Bible can only tell us what's true of us. We're going to struggle with sin as long as we live. And because of that diagnosis, many a Christian, when he faces the facts of who he really is and what he really lives with, namely sin, becomes spiritually paralyzed. That is, when many people realize how bad it really is, they stop trying to live the victorious Christian life. Now, they may still get up in the morning and go through their Christian routine. They'll read their Bible. They go to church on Sundays, maybe even on Wednesdays. But they do all these things, not really expecting their life to change all that much. Their attitude is one of defeat. They say things like this to themselves. Well, after all, I mean, I'm just a sinner. Always will be. It's just a fact of life in this world. There's nothing that I can do about it. And so people, some of them sort of think like that and they roll over. And they stop striving for anything different. Not necessarily happy in their sins, but resigned to the fact that they're going to have to live with them. They've acquiesced to the idea that they will never overcome this particular habit or that sinful personality trait. Maybe even they use those kinds of things, these teachings in the Scriptures that we're going to live with sin and struggle with it all of, their li- all of our lives. Maybe some people even use that as an excuse. When someone says, why don't you stop doing X? Well, I'm just, I'm just a sinner. Be, be patient with me. And we should be patient, but we shouldn't roll over and say, well, I'm a sinner and so 
the Christian life really is victorious when we die. And that's when the real victory will be. And so we want sin to be eradicated. It will never be fully eradicated in this life. So let's just look forward to heaven and everything will be well then. And you know what that is? That's a Christian life that becomes just a waiting for death. I wonder if you've ever met someone like that. A Christian who was just going through the motions, assuming that their sin problems could never be overcome, would never be overcome in this life. So they're just waiting to die. Maybe you're that kind of person. Or maybe you've, for the time being, fallen into that kind of rut. And so you say to yourself, you look at your sins, you read passages like Romans 7 or other passages about sin, and you say, woe is me. And maybe even last week as we talked about setting our minds on the things of the flesh, you said, woe is me, I'm always setting my mind on the things of the flesh. It's just the way it is with me. It always will be until I die and go to heaven, and then God will fix me. Come to think of yourself maybe primarily as a sinner rather than a sinner saved by grace. And therefore, you've resigned yourself to certain things. Maybe because of discouragement. Maybe again because you've decided to use your sin nature and the reality of it as an excuse not to do anything better or be better. But you've resigned yourself that you're just going to be a certain way and just the way you are. Don't really enjoy your sin necessarily, but you've made peace with it. And so you don't any longer think in terms of getting the victory over this sin or that here and now. You've just settled for getting to heaven someday and knowing that God will forgive you in the here and now. If that's the way you think or if that's the way you've thought or if that's the way you sometimes get into a rut of thinking or even if someday you might face this challenge of just kind of rolling over in the Christian life, let me tell you what I think the problem for many of us is. The problem is you heard the diagnosis correctly. The diagnosis, again, is you're made of sinful flesh and you will always be a sinner this side of heaven. You heard the correct diagnosis, but then you immediately stopped listening. And you did what so many people do in the doctor's office. You hear the diagnosis and you stop listening to what else they say and you fixate on that negative diagnosis, those negative words. And you don't hear the rest of what the doctor may have to say to you. You don't wait for the prognosis. Thus, you don't hear the doctor when he tells you that, yes, this is going to be a difficulty, but it's not debilitating. You don't hear him. You don't hear the apostle when he tells you, yes, you have a big problem, but you can still live a productive life. And the symptoms that you are showing can be curtailed if you will follow the right routine. All you've heard is that the disease is bad, that it won't be totally eradicated in this life, and you stopped listening, and therefore you gave up. I wonder if that's ever happened to you. I hope that no one in here is living your whole Christian life that way, but it's possible that you are. It's even more possible that many of us get in those ruts. We fixate so much on the problem that we fail to listen to the prognosis. We've resigned ourselves perhaps to certain sins, figuring they're just a fact of life. And if if that's how you are or have been or think that you someday may be, then I want to encourage you tonight just to pause for a moment. Don't let your mind race forward with the diagnosis. 
any longer, but pause and listen to the rest of what Paul, this superb position of souls, has to say about you. All throughout the book of Romans, he's given the diagnosis that we are in sin. But in verse 9, he gives us a wonderful, hope-giving prognosis. You're in sin, yes. You are made of flesh, yes. But verse 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Now let me ask you a question, and you answer in your own heart and answer honestly. Have you really trusted Christ? Do you really belong to Him? If you do, then the Spirit of Christ, Paul says, lives in you. For he tells us at the end of verse 9 that a person who belongs to Jesus will certainly have the Spirit of Jesus. It is not possible for a person to belong to Jesus and not have the Spirit of Jesus indwelling his or her life. In other words, there aren't two classes of Christians. There, there isn't one group of Christians who simply has Jesus and they're saved and they're forgiven and that's great. And then there's another more spiritual class who has gotten hold of the Holy Spirit. No, Paul says, according to verse 9, all true believers, all who belong to him have the Spirit. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So then let me ask you again, do you belong to Jesus? If you do, then yes, you are, chapter 7, verse 14, made of the flesh. And yes, you are going to continue to deal with its regular irritating flare-ups. But though you are, chapter 7, made of the flesh and therefore have some genuine continuing difficulties with sin, you are, chapter 8, verse 9, not in the flesh. In other words, you do not have to be controlled by the flesh. You do not have to be controlled any longer by your sinful desires. You don't have to roll over and admit defeat just because you're a sinner. Because though you are made of flesh, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And therefore your life is not defined anymore by sin. It's now defined by the fact that the Spirit lives in you. The primary reality about you if you belong to Jesus is no longer that you are sinful, though that is still true. That's not the primary reality. The primary reality about you is that you are now not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And in the Spirit, you have the ability to keep on going, even when the sinful flesh flares up inside of you. In the Spirit, you have the ability to fight sin. Verse 13. In the Spirit, you have the ability to be who God wants you to be. In the Spirit, you have the ability to actively, successfully live for Jesus, even though you've been diagnosed with a very serious disease. We hear people say this kind of thing all the time. Yes, he was very sick, but he could still live a productive life. That's what Paul is saying. But it's not the kind of pie-in-the-sky positive thinking that we often hear on the afternoon talk show circuit. In other words... This is not Oprah telling us that though we are riddled with cancer, we can still climb Mount Everest as long as we believe ourselves and sense the divine spark within. No, this is a real soul physician, someone who knows what it's like to live with this disease, Paul. He's given a level-headed diagnosis in chapter 7. He said to us, you are always going to struggle with sin. You are always going to have this wrestling going 
on inside of you. It's never going to fully go away in this life. But who is now in chapter 8 giving us a fact-based, black and white, realistic prognosis. But you can still live a productive, healthy Christian life because, here's the fact, the Spirit of God Himself has come to live in you and to give you the strength that you need. So that if you are a Christian, the truth is that you will struggle with the flesh. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, because the Spirit of God dwells in you. Indeed, Paul tells us three different times in these verses, verse 9, verse 10, and verse 11, that the Spirit lives in us. I don't think we should get confused by the fact that he calls him the Spirit and then the Spirit of God and then the Spirit of Christ and then he says if Christ is in you and then he speaks of the Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. He means the same thing. The Spirit of Christ. Jesus physically doesn't live in us but when he says even in verse 10 that Christ is in you what he means is the same thing he's saying in the other places that by the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit Christ is in you. Not personally in his flesh, but the spirit of Christ has come to live in you. And what that means is that the diagnosis of sin, relevant as it is for us, is not the final word in the life of the believer. Sin is real. Sin is relevant. But since we are in the spirit, the prognosis for us is actually quite good. Paul said it in verse 4. The requirement of the law can actually be fulfilled in us, even though we're sinners. And he's going to remind us in verse 13 next week, Lord willing, that some of these cancerous cancerous growths that are inside of us, these sinful things, these deeds of the body, verse 13, can actually be put to death. They can be cut off and done away with. So. When we are getting a spiritual checkup, when we are coming, gathering together like this or reading the Bible on our own, we are getting each week, Lord willing, a spiritual checkup. And what we need to do anytime we get a spiritual checkup is make sure that we don't stop listening after the terrible diagnosis. That we don't get fixated on the bad news, though we take it seriously. It's not the only news. We need to make sure that we hear everything that the doctor has To say to us. That's the point of verse 9. He's spoken all about how bad it is to be in the flesh in verses 7 and 8. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Listen, not just for the diagnosis, but for the good news afterward. And I want us now to practice doing that. As we look on into verses 10 and 11, Paul is going to repeat this kind of good news to us in more succinct terms. He's going to assess our disease and then he is going to tell us the prospects for how we might live with it. And he gives us four things to think about, four simple things to note. The first is what we've already been saying. You are infected with sin. He says in verse 10, The body is dead because of sin. So it is true, as we've been saying, and here Paul says it again, that there is living inside of you and inside of me a sinister force. 
a disease, a set of fleshly desires and cravings and urges and appetites and affections and attitudes, all of these things that are detrimental to our souls. Even as Christians, that is true of us. He's speaking to Christians here and he says, because of sin. Sin is like the virus that causes chickenpox. That virus, even once its full course has died down, still lingers inside of you, doesn't it? And if you're in a moment of weakness, it can break out again in the form of shingles and other kinds of problems. And that's the way sin is. Even once it has been fully and successfully treated, it is not going to kill you eternally. The healing blood of Christ has come and dealt with it. Sin dies a slow death within us. So it is dying, but it's not dead yet. Sin is dying. It's not the primary reality in your life anymore. You no longer are characterized by the disease like Naaman in the Old Testament. You remember Naaman, the Assyrian general. He was a great man. He knew the king. He had all sorts of wealth and position and power. And when his story is told, it tells all the great things about him. And then the last sentence is, but he had leprosy. And he was known for his disease. Well, what I'm saying is, and what Paul is saying is, we don't any longer have to be known for our disease. It's still there. But it's not the primary truth about us. Sin is, has been dealt with and it is dying, but it dies slowly. The virus, even though it's drowning, spikes at various points of weakness. And the result then, number two, is that the body is dead because of sin. Still in verse 10. The body is dead because of sin. That is to say there are actual physical repercussions to sin. Because sin is in the world and because it's swimming in each one of our bloodstreams, we all possess bodies that are dying. Slowly but surely dying. All of us physically dying as a result of our sin. That was the promise in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? And the day that you eat of it and the day that you sin, you will surely die. And what God meant as we see it play out is not that they would die fully that day, but that they would begin to die. They would become dying, decaying creatures that day. And so do we. Because of sin, the body is dead. And that's evident in us all, isn't it? All of us, as we grow older, see our bodies begin to age and break down in ways we never imagined that they would. And we realize that all of it is a sign that these bodies aren't made to last forever. Sin has crippled them, has made them to begin to decay. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the successful physician who became a much more successful preacher, said it like this. The moment we enter into this world and begin to live, we also begin to die. Your first breath is one of the last that you will ever take. That's a sobering thought. It's good to remember. We are all dying. The wages of sin is death. Eternal death. But before that, the wages of sin is physical death and decay. The body, he says, is dead because of sin. Now just pause here. Because I say again that this is as far as some Christians listen. Or some Christians who have listened further before, sometimes they get bogged down at this place. They hear the diagnosis, the body is dead because of sin, this is terrible. And then they don't listen to what else the Apostle has to say. They don't hear the good news that comes in the latter half of verse 10. 
They just hear him say, well, sin is here to stay, and it's eventually going to cause you to physically die. And they think to themselves, well, this is a bad thing. I'm sure glad we get to go to heaven someday. Then we won't have to worry about sin anymore. But for the time being, they roll over. They give up fighting. They just resign themselves to the fact that they're going to sin. They don't think about it as that bad anymore. It's just what they live with. They don't see any possibility of real life transformation. No, no, they say, well, we're sinners. That's the way we'll always be. And so they give up the fight, give in to their disease, and really just stop living. Stop living Christianly, anyway. And their stories, these Christians who just roll over and give up, those stories are no less sad. In fact, they're more sad than people who find out they have cancer and spend the rest of their lives in an easy chair waiting to die. How sad to be saved by the grace of God and not to live your life for Him. How sad to let the fact that you're a sinner keep you from hearing the good news that the Spirit dwells in you and therefore you can overcome. People live like that all the time. Some of us do it. Maybe some of us are living like that tonight. All because perhaps we stopped listening after hearing the bad news. It's possible that even some of you are in that rut even now. You've made peace with your sin by saying to yourself, well, this is just the way it is, I guess. I'm a sinner. I don't like it, but I'm sold into bondage to sin, and I suppose I'm just going to have to deal with that and live with it until I die. You stop listening after the bad news. But you need to make sure now that you hear the rest of what Dr. Paul has to say. Because he has... Thirdly, to tell us, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So yes, sin still festers inside your body. Yes, you will eventually die because of it. No, it cannot be fully eradicated here and now. But there is another reality that's at work in you. Sin is not the only thing to say about you. Though your body is dead because of sin, though your flesh is infected with sin, your spirit is alive, he says, because of righteousness. Because of righteousness. That is, because Jesus died in your place, when you put your faith in Him, God declared you to be right with Himself. God's righteousness given to you. Christ's righteousness given to you. And that righteousness, that right standing with God, now opens the way for God to pour out His Spirit into you and make your spirit come alive. Because God has made you right with Himself in Jesus, now you are a fit vessel for Him to pour His Spirit into so that your spirit can now awaken and come alive. And the Spirit is alive, He says, because of righteousness. You have, if you're a Christian, been born again. You had those old cravings and urges and desires, but now you have a new life and a new set of desires and cravings and urges and appetites and affections and attitudes. You are, Paul says elsewhere, a new creature. Hear that. If you're really a Christian, those new appetites are in you. And if you're really a Christian, you know that they are in you. And what you need to do is embrace them. Don't let the reality of your sin, the difficult diagnosis, suppress those new spiritual appetites. Don't stop listening after the bad news and just lose your appetite and say, I can't do it. Hear everything that Paul has to say. If the diagnosis is that your sin is killing your physical body, 
the prognosis sounds something like this. Yes, but there's still a lot you can do. Your life is not over yet. You do not have to be resigned to these symptoms. God has put new life in you so you can overcome a great many of the problems that so many people live their lives saddled with. You can live an abundant life. The symptoms can be controlled because of the life that God has put in you. And your life can still be one of great Christian victory and growth, even though you are made of sinful flesh. And of course, that's not the only thing that Paul has to say. The prognosis doesn't end there. It goes on into verse 11. And we find that it's also true that not only will or not only is the spirit alive because of righteousness, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, God has given you a new spirit now, verse 10, so that there be, need be no defeat when you think of your sin. And verse 11, God is also someday going to give you a new body so that there need be no despair for you when you think of your death. The same Spirit, he says in verse 11, who is powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Christian. And not only has he demonstrated his resurrection power in Jesus, but here he has made a resurrection promise. He will someday give life, not only to your soul, but to your mortal body. You will not struggle in this clay forever. There is a resurrection day coming for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the main thing, again, that I want to emphasize tonight is this. Here and now, the mantra of the Christian life is not woe is me. In other words, we should not be people who mope around thinking just because the diagnosis of sin is a really serious one that there can be no real victory or abundance in the Christian life. We must not let the diagnosis define our lives. And we must not let it excuse our sins. Yes, sin is like a cancer. It lives inside of us. It often slows us down more than we'd like. And yes, it will be with us as long as we live in this clay. But because the Spirit is alive in Christ Jesus, the prognosis for us is actually quite good. There is victory. And there is victory even now for sinners. There is more to the Christian life than just waiting to get to heaven. So I encourage you, if you have allowed the reality of the diagnosis of your sin to paralyze you or dishearten you, stop saying woe is me and get up in the power of the Spirit and get busy living the Christian life. I want to encourage you tonight to allow your affections, your feelings about yourself to be lined up flush with the truth that God speaks about you. If you're not a Christian, if the Spirit is clearly not dwelling into you, then you need to say, woe is me, tonight. And you need to flee to Jesus who will save you. But if you are a Christian, if there is evidence that the Spirit of Christ really is living in you, that God has given you these new desires, 
and these new appetites, then stop saying, woe is me. Stop saying sin is bigger than I can handle. Stop giving sin more credit than it deserves. Stop using your sin nature as an excuse to keep sinning. Stop letting the sinful diagnosis paralyze you and start walking in the victory that God's hopeful prognosis promises. Remember, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Remember that though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of Christ's righteousness.